Brian Priest here. We've got a great show planned for you this afternoon. A sloppy first 18 minutes at Jazz Fans Concerned Wednesday afternoon, but the shooters finally came alive, draining 18 three-point shots as a team, and the Jazz prevailed 124-115. McCade Pearson and I talked Jordan Clarkson's second-half adjustment, Quinn Snyder's rotation adjustments, and I steal the fire take this week as I name my three most important Jazz men as the team hits the halfway point of reseeding games. All that and more coming up next on Home Court Press. Here's Royce on a slip slide inside off the glass. I'm anxious to see who takes his first three-point shot in front on cue. <laughs> Mitchell. Here's a dribble drive by Clarkson in the paint, lunges forward and scores. What I was talking about earlier, Joe, being that that guy who is so vital for the Jazz. And Harry, he gets a nice little lefty push shot right here. Inside. Gobert flushes down. And a team that's played together. Great timing on the block shot by Big Rudy. Donovan flies it out to Royce. Here's Mike. Just hit a three. Why not? Clarkson. New look. Kicks it out. Royce. Wide open. Bang. Welcome in. This is Home Court Press. Your host, Brian Priest, joined once again by the fire starter himself, Mr. Flint and Steel, McCade Pearson. How are you? Fire top halfway through the bubble now. Dude. I'm good. We got a jazz win to talk about. How about that? I like jazz wins. I like recording at night when it's still fresh and you don't have a night to sleep on it. I mean, I need the night to sleep on it if we lose. But I'm totally down to roll with it right after a win. Hey, if the jazz keep winning, let's keep recording at night. Maybe it'll have something to do with us. The jazz do play a lot of early morning games in the next week. Let's go around the league, news and notes real quick, and then we'll jump right into this jazz recap as they beat the Grizzlies today. So news and notes, great news, no positive tests through three-plus weeks in the NBA bubble in Orlando. You really can't give enough credit to Adam Silver, Chris Paul in the Players Union, and everything they've done to make this work. Lou Williams aside. So I do have one question there. Does it concern you at all that they've only mentioned players and haven't mentioned any of the other however many hundred people there? I wouldn't say it concerns me because in terms of media and reporting stuff, when you're talking NBA but, fans, we care about the players. We're not and, as concerned about I the day-to-day staff. If a uh, faculty did test positive, I think you'd hear, because you'd hear that little buzz, a little worry. Also, hockey announced 7,000 tests in their two bubbles, zero positive. And when they announced it, they said, we have zero out of 7,000 positives, and uh, we're not going to tell you any individual results which I thought was a great flex. Yes. Um, but these bubbles are working across the, I don't want to say country, hockey's in Canada, across the continent. <laughs> yeah, across the continent, Major League Baseball and the uh, National Football League. Maybe take some notes, fellas. <laughs> All right, finish up these news and notes. Clippers guard Pat Beverly. Looks like he injured a calf muscle. Doc Rivers says it's not serious, but they are going to be careful. So I would expect Pat Beverly to miss at least a couple games, if not, miss the rest of this the reseeding portion of the bubble you know he's a guy that's very important to the Clippers success going forward his defensive energy is is something they're going to have to have so I I expect that to be a, a slow burn and Pat will probably be back by the playoffs unless it's more serious than is being indicated today another injury we don't have a lot of clarity on but Ben Simmons the Sixers are saying he suffered an injury to his knee today. There was some soreness, but there's no swelling. They did an MRI. That came back inconclusive. So he's day-to-day right now. Sounds like he's good. No pain, no swelling, nothing wrong with the MRI. 
who knows what they're looking at, but uh, probably just some general soreness. Wouldn't be too worried there. So we're not seeing too many injuries in the bubble. Uh, you're, mm-hmm. you've already, I mean, we've had one or two, but that's just basketball. That's going to happen when you play, what, 35 games around the league. So I think we're doing pretty good. Yeah, it seems like things are going well, but I got to tell you, McCade, when you're 20, 21, 22 years old, like Ben Simmons, no swelling, no pain is, is a good thing. But when you're in your 30s, 35 <laughs> like myself, no pain, no swelling doesn't always mean you're healthy. I can assure you of that. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Um, but we like to see everyone healthy. and It seems like that's going pretty well outside of Darren Jackson Jr. and some other here and there. But let's talk about the Jazz. They got a win. Second win of the bubble. Halfway through the bubble at 2-2. Two and two. Grizzlies are falling apart. They're 0-4 in the bubble. And I don't know if they're going to hang on to their 8th seed or even the ninth seed. But this is a Jazz podcast. So let's be positive and talk about the team with the higher score at the end of the game. Yeah, I like that. Jazz win 124-115. Coming into this game, I think the hot topic around Jazz Nation has been the three-point shooting. And just where did it go? The Jazz came in as the second-best three-point shooting team by percentage in the league during the regular season. They entered this game as the second-worst three-point shooting team by percentage so far in the bubble. Simple translation, something had to give there. Jazz ended up going 18 of 45 from three. I don't know if I would call it a concern because we've talked about the bench unit struggles a lot on this podcast, but of those 18 made threes, 16 of them came from the starting five. Yeah, um, all four three-point shooters in the starting lineup shot over 40%. Royce Donner both three for seven. Mike was four for nine. And then, of course, Joe actually shot the ball, and look what happened. We scored points. We won games, and we all got excited. Um, but, yeah, when the Jazz four starters that shoot threes all shoot over 40%, and Rudy Gobert does his thing in the paint, I have a feeling we're going to win a lot of games that way. It definitely seems that way. Rudy gets to the basket. He didn't have his best shooting night compared to normal Rudy Gobert standards. He was only 5 of 9 from the floor. But, yeah, seeing 16 three-pointers from those starters, Joe Ingles with six of them. Mike Conley, is he's Memphis Mike. He's what the Jazz fans were hoping they would get after that offseason trade. He was 4 of 9 from the three-point line, seven, uh, 6 of 13 from the field overall, and had 23 points on the game. Mike Conley's been awesome, but more than Mike, the Jazz starting five has been awesome. Yeah, so they we talked about this a little bit. I'll just go over tonight's numbers, and I think we're going to do a podcast for the next couple of days, kind of kind of a halftime show, for lack of a better term, and we'll go with these a little more in depth. But the starters were a plus 15 in 19 minutes. Um, they continue just to dominate. They're probably somewhere around a plus 50 to 55 for the bubble. And the bench, and by bench, I mean the not starters, like even one of them on the court, isn't doing great. They were at minus 6 to 29 minutes. Um, we talked about how great of a shooting performance from the uh, starters were, but how about their free throw shooting? They were, I believe, 28 for 29 from the line as well. So not only are you getting 16 threes, but you're getting 29 free throw made. Um, four of the Jazz starters shot over 40% from three, and four of the Jazz starters had a really, really good free throw rate of above 35-40%. Rudy got there 12 times. Royce got there four times on eight shot attempts. Conley with seven free throw attempts on 13 shots. They got to the line, and outside of one miss from Rudy, which I'm taking one miss from Rudy when he shoots 12, that's okay. Absolutely. Just, just lights out shooting all around from the starters. It's great to see. We look at the scoring numbers for the starters. Nobody scored under 15. Royce had 15. Donovan had 18. He was the fourth leading scorer for the team. I, I yeah. mean, I love 
seeing the way the Jazz came together in this game, you knew something did have to give with with just the three-point shooting. There's there's no way the Jazz could be through 60-plus games the second-best three-point shooting team in the league and be as bad as they were in the first three games in the bubble. That just wasn't going to continue. Yep, so it's good to see him come around. Um, Donovan had a really weird game. I want to get your thoughts there. Seven for 18, that's only 39%, but he had three threes, seven boards, six assists, only two turnovers. Not a great box score game, but then it felt a lot better watching it. So you're Mr. Eye Test over there on your side of the table. What did you see? No, I thought Donovan was great in this game. Donovan took what was given to him defensively. I'm still looking for a little bit more, but in terms of the offensive end, six assists, 18 points. Yeah, it was only 7 of 18 from the field, but I didn't see Donovan taking a lot of bad shots. I didn't see him forcing anything, and I also didn't see some of those passes where he gets into the lane, gets trapped, or just gets in trouble. With Donovan, it was really nice to see tonight because, like I said, I just I thought he let the game come to him rather than deciding what he was going to do in a premeditated fashion. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And as I've said the last couple of weeks now, I'm looking for Donovan Mitchell to impact winning when he plays bad. And it happened once in the scrimmage games, and now it's happened a couple times. Uh, you know, he didn't play perfect against New Orleans, and now here today, not great but he made an impact on winning, um, which is what matters at the end of the day. When you're a star in the NBA, I think we need to realize as fans that you're not going to have your A game every night. So it's a matter of anybody who's a baseball fan out there, you watch your team and you've got your starter any given night. Sometimes that starter doesn't have his A game. He's not going to have his top-notch fastball. So it's a matter of, can he figure out how to work the game and get out in spite of not having his best game? And that's what we saw from Donovan Mitchell is he didn't have his best offensive effort, but he let the game come to him. He worked and he made winning basketball plays. And so in spite of only scoring 18 points, he put the jazz in a position along with several other guys that we're going to talk about. He put the jazz in a position to get this win. Awful first 18 minutes. Clarkson came in, played terribly in the first quarter, yada, 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 what we've been talking about for days now. Jazz going a huge run in the half, though, and kind of switched things. Um, George and Yang played a big role in that, and then Joe Ingles came back on, and the starters really closed it well. The starters really closed the half strong after Yang and four of the five starters got things rolling. It's true, and that's something you and I have discussed on the pod several times. It's something I'm always talking about is closing quarters and closing halves. And so we look at this Jazz second quarter run with 4.56 remaining in the second quarter. They trailed by 12, 54-42. And if you're, if you're on Twitter, I can tell you Jazz Nation <laughs> did not feel Man. very good about it at this point. And they all say we. I don't know if you'll say we. I'll say we. We were having a meltdown. <laughs> it was tough. It was really tough, but... Trailing by 12, 456 remaining. The Jazz go on a 22 to 1 run. Now, I mean, I could single out a, a whole lot of plays in this. There's one in particular I saw that I haven't seen from the Jazz very often, and I, I made sure to make note of this. So there was 113 left in the half. Rudy came up to set a high screen for Mike Conley. Morant avoided the screen. Rudy kind of set a, a half hearted screen, honestly, and, but I think that was part of the play design. So Rudy sets the pick high. Then he rolled early. He got a back pick from Joe Ingles, free throw line extended. 
and he got a it, it was a lob dunk to Rudy on a pass from Mike Conley. Conley was outside the three-point line when he threw the pass, and it's something that I love to see because it's a variation on the standard Utah Jazz, Quinn Snyder pick-and-roll plays that we see. But instead of the the standard pick-and-roll, Rudy backdoored it, got the pick from Joe, and a lob. That was wonderful. That was a lot of fun to see in the middle of this run. I like Rudy Gobert dunks. Um, But no, absolutely... Super strong finish to the first half. As we said, everybody was playing well, knocking down threes. Defense was lights out. I think they were like 0 for 7 with six turnovers or something like that. Their last 15 possessions, 13 possessions of the half. Um, I mean, as you said, they only let up the one point, so that's good. Just, it was good to see things finally click on both ends. And with the bench struggling, it was good to see that happen without the starters to begin. The starters came in, I believe they had the last 17 to one part of that, but that first 5-0, was with George Niang on instead of Joe Ingles. And so that's good to see a bench player contribute to some momentum grabbing plays. And and when you talk a 5-0 run, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it it really is when we're talking the jazz bench, <laughs> but based on the oh. way they've played so far. And if you're going to have a 22 to one run, you've got to start somewhere. You have to. the The bench has to be involved because a five minute stretch at the end of the second at the end of the second quarter, you you're not going to have all five starters on the floor during that run. So it's great to see. Let's let's move on here. One of the things that you and I have talked about as well is just is Quinn Snyder, the head coach of the Jazz. Obviously, is he too ingrained in his lineups is he just set on what he's doing and the, and he's going to go to it come hell or high water you know kind of like coach herman boone on remember the titans it's like novocaine you just run it over and over and it's going to work it hasn't been working for the jazz and it was it was good to see some flexibility from quinn snyder emmanuel mudiay has been traditionally the backup point guard so far in the bubble he played a brief four minute stretch went 0 for one with a turnover in the first half didn't see the floor again guy we hadn't seen before but you and i mentioned rajon tucker he he played seven minutes not a lot of run but when you're talking the jazz bench you have to steal minutes even if it just means you're a net zero, you got to steal those minutes. So Tucker plays seven minutes. He gets one assist. But what I loved most about Rajon Tucker tonight was he brought an energy to the floor that I don't think we've seen from the Jazz bench so far in the bubble. He brought an athleticism. What? I mean, l- l- let me be clear. I love Joe Ingles. I love Royce O'Neal. I love George Niang. Yada, yada, yada. But Rajon Tucker brought some athleticism. That guy can jump higher than six inches. That guy is a little quicker than those guys. Like, it was just something different. It was, you say energy, I say athleticism. But it was good to see Quinn do something different. And I personally, everyone's going to talk about the 22-1 to run. Personally, I think this game was won in a 50-second period early in the third quarter where Quinn did something different. And so, Daz starters came out, and they actually struggled to start the third quarter. They let that nine-point lead go back to zero. And the game was tied. Jazz call a timeout about seven minutes left. Normally, even that 6.30 to 7-minute mark of the first third quarter, they sub out Mike Conley and Joe Ingles so they can come back in and play at the bench. They sub in Jordan Clarkson. The first two games, it was with um, Moutier. The last two games, it's been with Niang. So here, they call that timeout. I'm fully expecting. I tweeted, okay, here comes Niang and Clarkson. Instead, he brought back out the starters for another 60 seconds. And Donovan Mitchell took over the next 
50, 55 seconds, there's three plays where Donovan went layup at the rim, and I mean at the rim, then he hit a three, and then he had a crazy assist to, I believe, Joe Ingles for three. Boom, 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 eight will run, we're back up eight. Then Clarkson comes in, and at that point, we just kind of floated the rest of the way. It got cut down to a couple points, but it went up and forth. But it was that minute where Quinn decided to let the starters play just another 50 seconds together where you had a takeover by Donovan Mitchell. So put that game, not out of reach, obviously eight points isn't that big of a lead, but it's a lot bigger than zero. Well, and you've got to think that these players are so routine-oriented, and a coach like Quinn Snyder is very routine-oriented, that Quinn not making those substitutions at that point, I guarantee the players noticed. There was an eyebrow or two raised as they came out of the huddle and said, all right, well, let's, let's make this worth it. I, and I love to see that. I, w- I love to see the starters capitalize on the additional time they get. And I, I also love to see a guy like Jordan Clarkson, much maligned so far in this restart, get some of the credit that he deserves tonight. 23 minutes. He did lose a little bit of time. He'd been playing 25 to 27 so far. But he went 6 of 14 from the field. Instead of attempting you know, seven, eight, nine threes a game, he only shot four, made one of those. But... The second half, Jordan Clarkson looked like a different basketball player. So yeah, he, as we mentioned, he had a 50% usage rate roughly in the first quarter, jacked up a ton of shots, was like a minus 10, minus 12, still finished the game at minus 12. But in the second half, he was much more under control, had a couple of assists, um, three for seven from the field, and played a really big part in the four to eight minute stretch of the fourth quarter of maintaining the lead. They wanted to get Joe a couple minutes of rest and Conley a couple minutes of rest. And so Clarkson filled in for four minutes. They were each of them set out for two minutes. And he didn't kill us. And as we talked about last podcast, that's all we need from Clarkson is, hey, can you give us 15 points being in net neutral and let the starters take care of the rest? And he really did that in the second half, especially in that fourth quarter. Um, I was really impressed. I don't know what happened at halftime, but hopefully this is a sign of Jordan Clarkson turning a corner for the rest of the bubble. As a Jazz fan, you've got to hope that because the depth is so questionable at this point on the Jazz bench you have to get quality minutes from Jordan Clarkson going forward if you're hoping to win a single playoff series, let alone advance to you know the conference finals or the finals, as some people are hoping. Hey, I'm still hoping. Your fingers are <laughs> always crossed, McKay. Not asking my confidence level, but I'm always going to hope. <laughs> no, but uh, we did see some not devastating minutes with the bench in the second half, and it really allowed things to unfold and things to turn out really well. Reality is... Uh, the things to get us a nine-point win. Well, let's let's talk about that, McCade. So the the starters in 19 minutes with the five of them on the floor, they were plus 15, and the the bench 29 minutes, they were only minus six. So that's a huge improvement for this Jazz team compared to the first three games. Yeah, and it was it got ugly fast. I think they were like a minus 12, minus 14ish at some point. Um, but really rebounded well, made up some of those two points, and you can live with a minus six because the Stars are going to theoretically, hopefully, against a normal team, going to give you a plus five to plus 10, 15 advantage. Yeah. Now, of course, if you're playing the Lakers or someone really good, you need you need everyone to play well. But for the most part, playing the Spurs twice, playing maybe the Mavericks, maybe even playing the Nuggets, you can live with a minus the zero to minus eight from the bench. And I think that's a reality that Jazz fans are probably going to have to come to terms with at some point during this bubble, that the bench isn't going to be the unit that increased leads the last two weeks before the season was halted. They're, they're a different team without Bojan. 
it's a totally different unit, and it's going to be a struggle every time those bench guys are on the floor. Yeah, and George Niang isn't going to shoot one for 18, two for 18 from three. He's not going to shoot 11%. He's going to shoot 40% the rest of the way. And so you, you, some of these things are very short-term, and we got to keep that in perspective. Obviously, the playoffs can be short-term. The playoffs can only be four games if this happens again. But you also got to let the law of averages take place, which does not mean we're going to have a 60% game to make up for a 20% game, but it does mean we can't expect a normal 40% moving forward. All right, McCade. I that's all I have for today's game. I kind of wanted to tease a little bit going forward. You talked about Friday morning. We wanted to just recap the first half of these reseeding games and then look forward. We'll do a, a preview for this weekend's games, back-to-back Friday and Saturday against the Spurs and Nuggets. But first, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll finish up the podcast by talking about who has been, very briefly, who has been the most important players to the Jazz so far in these reseeding games? Thanks for tuning in today. Home Court Press can be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. We can also be found on any of your major podcatchers. And remember to listen, share, rate, and review so more people have an opportunity to listen. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press, and now back to the show. Welcome back. This is Home Court Press and your host, Brian Priest, joined once again, as always, by our fearless co-host and fire starter, McCade Pearson. No, I'm not the fire starter today. You came in with the hot take. You want to talk about, kind of, for lack of a better term, the most valuable players so far in the first four games? I do. I, I- it's, Rudy's been great. Rudy's been Rudy Gobert, 33 minutes a game, doing his thing. He had, what, 21 and 16 today, I believe. Rudy's been doing his thing. and Rudy plays well, the Jazz have a good chance to win. My number one is Rudy Gobert. But after that, it gets a little murky, and you came up with your own rankings. Well, Rudy's been great. Rudy's been everything Jazz fans expect. He's averaging 15 and 12 so far in uh, reseeding games, two, almost two and a half blocks per game. And if Rudy's on the floor, there's a very defined difference in the Jazz opponents and what they're able to get on the offensive end with Rudy on the floor versus with Rudy off of the floor. We've talked a couple of times about how when you mention the Jazz bench, it really comes down to is Rudy in the game or is Rudy not in the game? If Rudy's on the bench, the Jazz defense is going to struggle. So in terms of the the guys that I think have been the most important to the Jazz in this reseeding the, the four games they've played, it's got to be Rudy Gobert. 33 minutes a game. I mentioned 15 and 12, two and a half blocks. Second, it's Mountain Mike, Memphis Mike. I don't care what you want to call him. Mike Conley. We're going with Memphis. We go Memphis Mike. It's a tribute to today. Mike Conley's been awesome. He's been every bit of what Jazz fans were hoping they had acquired last summer when they made the trade. 33 minutes a game, 20 points per game, six assists. He's stretching the floor. He's hitting three-point shots. We talked about in the scrimmages that Mike wasn't starting the games very well. He was struggling in the first half. Well, that script is kind of flipped now. He's coming out really strong. He hit a couple threes early to start today's game. And when he's on the floor, Mike Conley has controlled the game for the Jazz. But for me... The reason why this is kind of my hot take is McCade alluded to. Can I ask to, a quick question? Yeah. 
Mike Conley playing well. No boy on, or is he figuring it out? You know what? I and I've always thought that the Mike Conley figuring it out narrative was misguided. I think it's the offense and Quinn Snyder figuring out how to play around Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell on the floor at the same time. Because both of them are geared, their mindset, their ability is being the primary ball handler. So they both needed to learn to play without the ball and with the ball, depending on the possession and what the defenses were giving them. If that answers your question. That that answers my question. That was good. But following Mike Conley, this is where I have my surprise. I think... Just around Twitter, around Facebook, Jazz Nation can agree. Rudy and Mike Conley have probably been the two best jazz players. I think a lot of people would place Donovan Mitchell next in these standings. And and I got to tell you, if you're looking at the box scores, I can see why you would do that. But if you're watching the games, 48 minutes, it's Royce O'Neal. It has to be Royce O'Neal has been the third most important jazz man. And if you base that on the expectations coming into the bubble, I'm not saying Donovan has played poorly, but Royce's production has been amazing compared to what he's done in the regular season. Defensively, he's the monster he always is. He's undersized, but I haven't even seen his lack of size be a disadvantage so far in the bubble. Against the Lakers, he was terrific guarding LeBron and or Anthony Davis at different times. He's also averaged 30 minutes a game, 10.5 points per game, 8.5 rebounds. We've harped on rebounds for the last month. And Royce has been... Royce might might be a better defensive rebounder than Rudy Gobert right now. And it's spectacular. And the Jazz have to have it. Royce's rebounding has been amazing. And not all of his quote-unquote rebounds are showing up in the stat sheet. He's attacked the glass really well a couple times and done the whole, I'm a seven-footer, I'm going to squat it back out to half court, where he's just going to get his hand on the ball. And sometimes that's good enough to help your team get the rebound. So I think he's actually rebounding better than even his numbers say. But you mentioned, what is it, six or seven defensive rebounds a game? Probably seven-ish? Yeah, right um, around, right in that neighborhood. Like, had a huge lobster game. It's been consistent. He's been pretty much the same player all four games now. And that's what you need from your role players. You can't count on your role players to win you games. But your role players have to not not lose you games. And that's exactly what Royce is doing day in, day out. He's probably been our most consistent player thus far in the bubble. Coming into this season, Jazz fans looked at the, the series against the Rockets last year. And a lot of people would say that Royce was probably the, the best jazz player in that series and I don't know if I necessarily disagree he was he was like you're saying the most consistent player and And he was awesome the year before he was showing up late in the season well yeah so I did I coming into this year I didn't necessarily I loved Royce O'Neal and I bought into him as Royce should probably be a starter for this team but I didn't necessarily buy into the narrative that Royce is better at the end of the year and in the playoffs and stuff watching what Royce is doing in the bubble like he's the only guy that for every second he's on the floor is committed to attacking the defensive class. You talked about not just the rebounds he's pulling down himself, but the back taps that he's been getting to. And he's getting to these balls over seven footers. He, he's give it, getting to these rebounds over guys that he shouldn't be getting rebounds from, but it's because of his tenacity and his work ethic. And he just, Royce O'Neal is in the league for one reason. And it's because he never stopped fighting. And that's what he's doing right now for the Jazz. And it's exactly what they need. 
It's it's been great to see. One last thing before we wrap things up in terms of boys O'Neill and Joe Ingles, who actually did this today, and Rajon Tucker, shoot the ball, guys. When you get this pass, shoot the ball. Look what happens when we get up shots. When Joe Ingles is taking three in the game, and Royce O'Neill's taking ten shots in the game. Good things happen. It's great when you're open and you can take that open shot and you don't have to hesitate. We won't get mad. <laughs> All right, McCade. No, Hey, Jazz are two and two in the bubble so far. They've got the Spurs on Friday morning. We're not even talking an early afternoon tip. Friday morning, 11 a.m. All for it. And then we got the Nuggets. It's going to be the Jazz one back-to-back in the eight reseeding games. So Spurs Friday morning, Nuggets Saturday morning. But Home Court Press will be coming back at you Friday. We want to recap the first four games of the bubble so far for the Jazz, and then we'll preview the Spurs and Nuggets coming up this weekend. So, McCade, where can the folks find you on the social media? Uh, hit me up at McCade P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E P8. That's all I got. Hey, McCade tweets a lot during normal times. If you're talking to the two and a half hours a Jazz game is on, we're gonna hey. we're gonna pretty much triple that tweet count, right, hey. McCade? If you were watching the game closely today, I was one of the fans on the little screen. Super weird experience. Give it a go if you can. It's fun. It's different. But <laughs> I think I was on TV like four or five times, and I think three or four of those times I was on my phone screen. So there you go. <laughs> that gives you an idea of how often McCade's tweeting. He, I'm sure he's got a laptop or some desktop up in front of him, and he's got the phone to send the information out. So give McCade a follow. That's at M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. And then you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest 24 I'm doing my best to stay engaged on Twitter. I have a hard time with social media. I'm a little bit older than McCade. I haven't just embraced it with open arms like he has, but I'll tell you, I love jazz basketball. I love interacting with Jazz Nation, and I have a great time with the podcast. So thanks for listening today, and be sure and tune in Friday morning for more Home Court Press.